on to the Elevating Your Potential podcast, where we enlighten middle school and high school student-athletes about the reality of college sports. Today, we have a great guest for you today. He started two years on varsity at Red Oak High School as a running back and linebacker. He was a captain his senior year. He finished his career with 500 yards, 50 tackles, and one interception. After his high school career, he had the opportunity to continue playing and attended Austin College, where he played for five years, started 10 games, and was a five-time academic all-conference selection, which is very, very impressive. Um, he ended up getting his master's degree in teaching, and he is now pursuing his dream of becoming a high school football coach. And he's currently at Belton High School, as you can see through by his gear that he has on right now, representing. Um, he has a special place in my heart because it's my cousin, my guy, my friend, Trey Jones. How you doing today? Doing good. How about yourself, Jay? I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, so we start out every podcast with the same question. I'm very interested to see what you say about this. Who was the best football player you've ever played against and why? Well, honestly, the best football player I've ever played against was the dude who I had to go against my sophomore year in scout team, which was Jeremiah Gaines. <laughs> but, you know, he's probably going he's to be mad that I'm boosting him, but I'm dead serious. Like, I mean, Jeremiah was the complete football player. He, you know, he was always about his game, always about learning, always about getting better. Leadership-wise, uh, every practice rep was a live rep, so just making sure that he was doing everything that he could in practice to be better into the game. Um, as I transferred into college, um, the best player I played against was this one dude who was a DN at uh, Southwestern. He was about six foot tall. He wasn't too big. Uh, he was about 280, but he was a really strong guy. We literally had to send triple teams at him. We had to mm. bar, tackle, slide to him, and the running back come help. Um, he still ended the season probably with like 20 sacks or so. Uh, oh, we Pretty good guy. So you know, that guy was a monster. Yeah. Well, well thank you, Trey, um, for the compliment for sure. I had a feeling you would go there. I was hoping you wouldn't, but you did anyway. But it's the um, truth. I got to tell the truth. Okay. <laughs> well, oh, man. Well, thank you so much for that. Um, so tell us a little bit more about yourself. How were you introduced to sports? Well, um, honestly, I've loved sports ever since I've known it. Um, when I was little, it was just a way to bond with my father. Uh, he would be gone, you know, at work. He was a police officer. And it was something that we did when he was here. We watched TV together and stuff like that. And then um, when he left to go to work, I would write down what happened during the game and tell him when he got home. And that was like the bright part of my day. So it was just like transferring from being a little kid loving the sport to actually knowing about it more and seeing all the life lessons that it teaches you. It was always a good thing that, you know, just to have for motivation, for character building and all that. Mm -hmm. So that's why I started loving sports. Yeah, that's great. How many sports did you play growing up? Uh, I played soccer, t-ball, um, basketball and football. So outside of football, what was your, I, I have a feeling what you're going to say, but what was your favorite sport outside of football? It was definitely basketball. <laughs> um, my basketball was actually my first love. I actually wanted to be an NBA player when I was smaller, but I never got to be big or tall. So I realized that I probably wasn't going to make it early on. You know, all the kids are like six foot tall and I'm over here like, all right, that's cool. <laughs> focus more on football. So that's where uh, I was able to prosper and get farther, so that's mm -hmm. good. Yeah, for sure. So that actually leads into our next question. And so I'm not trying to be funny or anything, but you, 
compared to most athletes, as you just said, you're on the, the uh, shorter, smaller side. Um, so tell me, walk me through your experience as a smaller player. Like, did you have a chip on your shoulder all the time? Like, what was the expectation for you personally? And did you feel like you have anything to prove? Yeah, just walk us through that a little bit. Well, as a smaller player, I'm, most of the time, I think three years of my whole career um, at playing was I not the smallest kid on the team. Um, so just being there, especially when you got in the seventh and eighth grade, when you finally get started um, coached by other people that you don't know, that don't know you, they see that you're a small guy and they're like, oh, he's probably going to be C-team material, you know, not really wearing about A-team guys. So, you know, I went out there for the first day of seventh grade and I got put on the B-team and stuff. Um, even though the coach literally told me I was one of the best receivers that they had, they were just, I was just a small dude. Mm -hmm. So growing up, I always have been small. It's nothing like uh, people caught up with me or nothing like that. So I always knew that, you know, we had to work a little harder, show coaches a little bit more um, that I am deserving of whatever I do get. I'm not somebody who is looked at and like, dang, that dude looks great. You know, he looks like a great player. Like, I'm not that guy, but I'm the guy who will work out as hard as I can, every rep, every time I go out, a guy who will produce on the field and a guy who's smarter than probably everybody else so that I can use my body as an advantage and not a disadvantage, something that um, has really aided me throughout the time of being a running back and being even like a linebacker because as a small linebacker, I was able to get by the taller left tackles, right tackles, because I was able to use my body as an advantage. So just being smart, being able to use your body is the, the biggest thing about being a small athlete. It was something that, you know, every year you got to prove yourself. Every play you got to prove yourself. Every time you go against somebody else, you got to prove yourself. But it's a welcome challenge that I really enjoyed because I was never looked at like, oh, man, this guy is going to destroy me. But then when I do, it's always fun because they look so confused. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's really great insight because you did have the luxury of having that automatic um, advantage size-wise. So you had, that, you had an advantage because your mindset was like, I already know what they're thinking. Mm -hmm. So I can go ahead and prove them wrong. Like you didn't have any expectations um, put on you by other coaches as well. So I think that, that you use all that because you were, you're tenacious. When we did go against each other as a sophomore, I knew I still had to bring it because I could get embarrassed this play because yeah. Trey is definitely going to prove himself which um, I definitely respect it. So that's a great insight. And I think a lot of people can, um, can gain from that. Uh, so walk me through um, your academic side of your high school career. So Austin College, for those who don't know, is a very prestigious institution, it's a private school. And so Trey had to be pretty good academically to get into the school. So what was your mindset with um, academics while you were going through high school? My mindset has always been that my brain was going to get me the furthest in life. Like I, like we just talked about, my body isn't uh, one of those Greek gods. So <laughs> we're just trying to, you know, get as far as I can. So I knew that I was going to have to use my brain. I really emphasized studying. I tried to take the hardest classes that I possibly could, not just because it would look good on a transcript or anything like that, which it does, but also because I enjoy the personal challenge of you know pushing myself trying to be the best me I can be so academic wise I've always really put an emphasis on this is what is important in life like this is what's going to get you to the next level this is what's going to get you to the next stage in your life this is what's going to get you 
the happy wife and kids that you, you know, dream of when you're a little kid. So academics has always been something that I've really tried to put an emphasis on even in high school. Yeah. So would you say that all that was internal or did you have external forces like your parents or anybody else kind of pushing you in that direction as well? Well, my parents had three kids uh, technically in high school at the same time. So uh, just seeing them parent is an interesting thing because they were able to balance the expectations that they had on me, but also show that, you know, this is all up to you. Like, if you want to take these AP, pre-AP classes, like, we'll let you, we'll do everything that we can to be able to support you in that. Um, but you don't have to because it's not something that, like, we're requiring out of all of our students. We just require that you guys, you know, be the best you that you can be. Mm -hmm. uh, we just require that y'all work as hard as you can and, you know, try to get everything out of this that you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, and so for my next question, what would you tell that student athlete who doesn't take school seriously or doesn't think that it's important um, for them to be learning this information and they just want to go out there and play their sport? What would you, what kind of advice would you give them as someone who took the academic seriously? Well, at any time it can be taken away. And that's the scariest thing about playing, especially our sport of football, is that every play you go out there, you don't know if you're going to be able to get through the whole game without injury, you know. And if you don't have something to fall back on, it's always the most dangerous thing for people because people go broke or people go literally insane because they have nothing else to look forward to. Um, if you're constantly pushing yourself, you're constantly trying to get that same drive that you get out of sports and academics, mm -hmm. and you'll make it fun for yourself because you're always constantly pushing yourself. As an athlete, if you're going to be an elite athlete, then you never are satisfied with being second. You're never satisfied with losing. And uh, If you take that approach into the classroom, then you'll be a much better you than you started out as. And that's something that is very important as a student athlete, as just a student, is that every day you need to try to be better than you were yesterday. So with the academics, it's something that is vitally crucial to your long-term well-being and also your mental well-being. So I feel like that's just something that people should know and something that people really need to take to heart. Oh man, that's, that's, a, that's great wisdom. Um, because I don't think people realize, I'm sure you had this experience as well, but there'll be so many, so like 25 guys will come in um, for a recruiting class and three or four are going to just fall off because of grades because they didn't take care of their business. Um, I have a book that's out that you just got today, Trey, and there's a story of a guy who actually uh, had to be kicked off of campus because he, for the semester, he had four Ds and an F. And I was just like, how do you, like, how do we, as people who are passionate about student athletes, how do we change that? I think your answer really, really hits that um, very well. So that's an interesting point um, at SMU, which is also a prestigious school. So, um, but the thing about it at Austin College is that because you're not getting any assistance from anywhere else, like if your grades start to suffer and you get dropped down to a little bit lower academic scholarship, then a lot of the kids go basically can't come back to the school because of that. Um, so we started our recruiting class was about 45 kids my freshman year. Um, and we still only had like 90 kids on the team. So that shows you how much the retention was. Even when we graduated, we graduated with 12 seniors. Wow. It's something that is essentially important at uh, the lower levels because 
you know, your parents and you are paying for this whole thing. So y'all have to make sure that you're trying to do everything that you can academic wise to be able to just attend the school. Yeah. Nevertheless play. Right. Yeah. That's great insight. Uh, we're going to come back to your Austin college experience a little bit later. Um, so what was your recruitment like out of high school? Um, it was mostly uh, my dad sending out videos to people. Uh, at the time, we were going through a coaching change, so the new coaches really didn't know us. So they weren't able to send out film to people, but my dad was sending it out. Um, I made the highlight tape, and we sent it out to smaller teams. And then once you get one small team interested in you, then I don't know what they do, what kind of voodoo magic they do. But <laughs> they all know that they're interested in you. So. Um, we got a whole bunch of different schools looking at me from around the nation. Honestly, I wanted to go to a school in Texas that wasn't too far from home because home is where the heart is. And I really like enjoy going home. So that limited my um, search to schools within Texas. I looked at some D2 schools, some D2 schools will offer me partial academic scholarship, I mean, athletic scholarships, but um, with the, financial aid I was getting from the smaller schools as well as the academics just being so much better at these schools than a lot of the D2 schools. That's the route that I decided to take and um, I just went to all the recruiting trips and it's mostly like things in groups and stuff like that so you know you're not really getting the personal touch but Austin College was able to give me basically uh, the personal feel that felt like they cared about me, felt like they really wanted me to go there and also uh, the peace of mind to feel like I am at a place that I will prosper. So That's great. So let's, let's rewind for a second. You said something I want to hit on. So you said that the D3 schools that were, or the smaller schools that were offering you actually gave you more of a package than the D2 school. Is that correct? Yes, that, that correct? is correct. Um, because like they were offering me a part athletic scholarship and that's all the school was going to offer. They went, uh, gonna and you know use a lot of academic money on on me as well, um, so with the academic money just straight up that the D three schools were offering me, I got a better package with that. So um, that was very helpful. Yeah, some I think somebody definitely needs to hear that because a lot of times we're just so focused on the athletic money, athletic money, athletic money, and I think about the total package mm -hmm. and how we want to get out of college with the least amount of debt as possible and with the most assistance as possible. So I think that you made a great decision in that it's not really about the level. As long as you get that piece of paper at the end of your degree from a great school, then you are in great shape. And so and I always knew that obviously I wasn't going to go to the NFL at like a 5'7 guy, you know. Maybe some guys, you know, if you're out there running 4'4", four, 4'2", four, four, I don't, I don't want right. to live in right. you, you go be you, you be as great as you possibly can, but uh, like realistic wise, I knew that that's probably wasn't what I wanted, uh, wasn't, wasn't what I was going to do. So I wanted to be in the best situation for my long-term future. So. I think another thing that you're alluding to that's very powerful is that you were self-aware through the whole process. Can you talk to me about how you were able to be self-aware and realistic throughout your whole journey and not think, hey, I'm going to go D1, I'm going to go D1, I'm going to go D1, but you were realistic and say, okay, hey, maybe this is not, I can use this sport as a vehicle to do something else. Can you talk about that for a second? Well, I mean, honestly, the more realistic you are, the more better you, the better you're going to feel about yourself. Because honestly, if you're one of those guys who are set on going D1, set on going D1, set on going D1, then 
you might miss opportunities that you do get to be able to further your game or further be able to play your game. Um, one of my best friends, I won't mention his name, but he was a guy who was set on going D1. Uh, he had a little bit lower academic-wise, and he let opportunities to go D3, D2 pass him by. And then he ended up going to a JUCO that said that they were going to let him walk on. He wasn't able to do that. Um, because new coaching staff, and then he just got lost in the shuffle when he was never able to play the football game, the wow. game of football. So that's just something that uh, not only can hurt you mentally, but also literally hurt you not being able to play your sport ever again uh, at the you know at the um, competitive level. Right. So uh, that, and just also knowing knowing yourself. I mean, just knowing who's looking at you. Um, you get. Academic, uh, actively recruited when you're going D1 by a lot of different schools. And once you see that you're not doing that, you know, start taking those uh, lower offers, seeing what they're offering you. I mean, those are great places to play football as well. I mean, if the main goal is to play football, mm -hmm. then, you know, you should be just trying to play wherever you can play with the people who will support you the most in your game. Yeah, that's real good. That's good. Um, so there's a specific question I want to ask you because we had similar experiences. So when I was here at SMU, we went through some tough times. Like we, we lost a lot more games than we won throughout my time. And I know in high school, that was the same for you. So walk me through your mindset and how you were able to push through those tough seasons that you all had to still say, hey, I love this sport. This is something I want to do. Like, was it challenging for you at all? Well, honestly, not really, because I know my why. So you just got to know what your why is. If your why is to win games, then that's a bad why to begin with, honestly, to, because it's not something that is intrinsically motivated. Something that pushes you needs to be something that you can control. You can't control what you put up on the scoreboard. You can't control how your team plays every weekend, week out. You can control how you play every weekend and week out. You can control how you prepare for the next season, how you prepare your body, how you prepare your mind. And knowing your why is basically just knowing why you do what you're doing, why you play the sport that you play, why you continue at this program, why you push yourself to the limit every time you work out, uh, why you're doing this eight hour long uh, night before um, essay. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. If you know why you're doing it and the ends justify the means, then it's going to be something that you're going to be able to push through easily. It's ne I've never questioned if I wanted to continue playing football because we were losing, because I know that I was getting better myself. I know that I was building strong relationships with my teammates, and I know that I was doing something that was bigger than myself, yeah. something that hopefully I can leave the younger kids or the people who are younger than me and maybe help them be better than we were or be better than the class above us was. You know, right. just try to push the um, ballot forward trying to get better than, you know, you were the year after. Yeah, I love, I love that so much. That's so good. Um, so let's transition to when you actually got to college. Uh, what was the biggest thing that surprised you when you um, stepped on campus? Honestly, the biggest thing that surprised me was the amount of people who can be a distraction. It's not the amount of distractions, because, yes, I knew that there was going to be the distractions of – you know, the party life, all that stuff like that. But there's just an absurd amount of people who go to school and literally will try to bring you down with them if you let them. And 
What do you uh, mean bring? What do you mean bring you down? If you can go into a little bit more detail, just get you, just get you off track of what you get, went to went to school for. Like I went to school for academics and football, and um, some people, you know, if you let them, they'll bring you just. They would try to get you off track, not to worry about your academics, not to worry about your sport, just to worry about what they're worrying about at that time. And whatever that is, it could, I mean, if that's not what you went to school for or went, or that you're trying to be better at or something that, you know, is going to be a crucial part of your future, then that is something that's getting you off track. It doesn't matter what it is, um, but that is getting you off of track, the, you know, misaligned with what your primary goals are in school. Yeah. So just the amount of people who like go to school and they'll end up failing out or they end up just not coming back to school because that's not what they were going for. They didn't know what their why was for school. So, you know, they were trying to get you off track or trying to get other people off track. And just seeing those people, seeing the people that they can drag off track is, was something that I was very surprised about. Mm -hmm. So compare that experience that you had to what it, to what it was in high school. So are you saying that that wasn't um... – Present in high school or just wasn't as much? It's uh, not as present just because you get uh, external enforcement every day in high school. If you have, you know, good parents, good social, uh, good grandparents, you know, all the people basically are around you, your family, uh, your siblings, your teachers really are able to give you the one, -on -one uh, not really one-on-one -on -one attention, but they give you a small group attention that uh, you can ask them anytime. They all know your name and stuff like that. But when you get to a college, even though my college wasn't that big, you know, you don't get that same sort of attention from your professors and also your parents aren't there. So just the freedom of being able to, oh, I can go do this and nobody will know, or I don't have to do this assignment, my parent won't fuss at me or, you know, stuff like that. That is something that is really a downside to all the freedom that you're going to get because it's just a big transition. Uh, but if you're able to continue to be disciplined in it, you'll be fine because, you know, the discipline comes from, you know, learning from your parents on how to be disciplined. But then once you get into that own world of, you know, having to discipline yourself, you still got to be that same discipline that you were in high school. Yes. Oh, that's so good. But I'm going to ask you to go in a little bit more detail. So can you give me some tangible steps on how you were able not to get sucked into that, um, to those distractions that are pulling you away from what you're there for? Well, one of the biggest things that I learned when I started college was the, my coaches and stuff, they got with us and they told us that you can be good at two things. You can be really good at two things. Okay. Um, so whether that two things be partying or in school or football in school or your social club in school or girls in school, you can be really good at two things. Okay. So what I decided to do was to schedule my time, they give us planners and stuff, or you can write down a planner on your own piece of paper. It doesn't matter what it looks like as long as it's planning for you. Mm -hmm. And then you just schedule out what your day is gonna be like. You know, you have certain slots that you're gonna have classes, obviously, but you have a lot of more, a lot more free time in college than you do in high school. But, you know, scheduling out when I need to study, how much studying I need to do, uh, what days will I, I mean, you can definitely have a social life. It's not that you can't have a social life, you know, just got to schedule out what days that you can go out, you know, um, what you're going to do when you do go out, um, who's going to be with there with you, you know, helping you, um, all that stuff, you know, just planning out basically ahead of time, what your schedule is going to look like will help you alleviate a lot of these problems. Like, 
Because if you have a paper due Thursday, you probably shouldn't be going out Wednesday or Tuesday. If you have a big test on Thursday, you probably shouldn't be going out Wednesday or Tuesday. You should be studying for that test. You should, but you should already have been studying from when you got the first content. Because if you're able to, you know, start studying for two hours a day, two hours a day, two hours a day, those yep. two hours combine them way more time than you can do, you know, the day before or stuff like yep. that. But those days before you are still building knowledge, still trying to get the best that you can be. So, you know, that's just being common sense, smart, stuff like that. Yeah, those are some good nuggets, Trey. I hope y'all are listening because this is good stuff right here. Really good stuff. Um, so you talked about social life for a second, but I want you to discuss social life in the context. You went to a relatively small school. I think you told me around 1,600? Yes. And so our high school in Red Oak was probably about 1,700, 1,800. So it's a little bit smaller than Red Oak High School that we went. We go to a big 5A school in Texas. So what was the social aspect like? Because a lot of schools are not only 1,600. Like Ohio State, 72,000. So what was your experience um, with such a small school? I mean, yes, we did have all the parties and stuff. Like, I did join a fraternity uh, personally. It's not one of the national fraternities or anything like that, but it does have a good network as well that, you know, has doctors, lawyers, people who can help you try to further yourself. That's the reason why I joined it. Um, also, just everybody does almost know everybody. That's how small it is. So, uh, you know, just being smart about who, what you say to who or what you do with who. Because knowing that it will go around is something that is very important, especially when you're at a smaller school. So, yeah, for sure. Um, I really want you to go into detail about this next question. Um, you've talked to me about you've talked to me personally about this a little bit about the health insurance process for the D three athletics. Can you talk about that a little bit for us, please? Well, um, my sophomore year, I started the first two games. I was a uh, academic all. I mean, I was the uh, conference player of the week the first week that I started. And then I came back and I tore my ACL in the second game. So going through that process was already, you know, mentally draining because you're like, dude, I finally got to the mountaintop. I finally yeah. got to where I wanted to be. And then, uh, you know, I have this injury and I'm going to have to start all over. Uh, so, you know, that was already depressing. But then when you get to realize that as a D3 athlete, you don't have the same coverage that, a lot of the D1 athletes and stuff have, you know, where they pay for all your medical bills and all that stuff. So what happens is that you have your own insurance, uh, whether you can, you can buy insurance from the school, but you do have to pay for it anyway. So whether you have your own insurance or the school's insurance, then you have a certain amount that you have to pay to get to the deductible. And then after that amount is when the schools takes over, but it can still be, uh, you know, a big, a large amount of what, you know, is being paid that might not be able to be paid by your parents. I mean, it's something that, you know, it was a struggle at the time because it could be like something like, I think it was something like $15,000. And, you know, obviously a lot of families don't just have that sitting around mm -hmm. to, you know, just use it anytime. Right. So we were able to, you know, talk to the school. And that's something that I did love about Austin College is that they did care about their people. So we were able to talk to the school, get the deductible a little bit lower, but we still had to pay a large, a relatively large amount before they would pay for the rest of it. Mm -hmm. So it was just something that um, <clears throat> was a struggle at the time. It's something that if you do play athletic, if you do do athletics at a smaller level, then you do got to be aware of that 
you know, not everything medically might be covered. And you're signing papers that say that, but when it happens in real life, it's something that's different. Right. So. And that was just so fascinating to me when you explained that the first time, because going to SMU, like they literally pay for everything. And I saw I had a better appreciation and more respect for um, players who play on a smaller level because you're literally, not only are you paying for yourself to go to school and essentially to play sports, but you're also paying for injuries that come along with that sport. And so I definitely have a big appreciation. Um, and we've talked about this before that you, it's a different level of love when you have everything paid for and when you're paying for it yourself. Do you want to talk about that uh, for a second? Well, I mean, um, as a D3 athlete, uh, my coach made a speech every year at the recruiting visits that it's people who just really love the game of football. Like, to be a D3 athlete, to be somebody who literally has to work outside of school to be able to pay for their school, as well as put in the time that every other athlete has to put into their sport, mm -hmm. it's something that is just out of this world commitment, basically. Um, at the D3 level, obviously, you know, you get academic scholarships and stuff like that. You get um, grants from the state, but you don't get any academic money. You don't get, I mean, athletic money. You don't get anything from the school. Um, even things like gloves, a lot of the time, cleats, stuff like that, you have to pay for yourself. I mean, it's some stuff like that. It's not, uh, it's the big things as well as the small things. Um, you know, we traveled, uh, we'll get into more of that later. But it's just um, stuff that, you know, small things that do add up, and it's big things that also add up, obviously. So it's just really you've got to be commit committed to what you're doing. you got to know why you're doing it, and you got to just love the game, whatever it is. And what was your schedule like? Uh, so walk us through, like, your fall and spring semester. Like, when did you have classes? When did you, like, have to work, as you mentioned? When did you have to do – athletic um, responsibilities? So my uh, fall schedule during football season was we'd wake up in the morning um, two or three days a week, uh, about six o'clock, uh, go to film or uh, weightlifting, conditioning, stuff like that. And then we'd go through classes. I had classes normally. Uh, the class time allotment is from eight to four. So you have those times to be able to go to class. At 11 o'clock, we had a break basically, which uh, none of the school has classes. But at that time is when we were required to go to more film and uh, practice planning and stuff like that. So that's when we learned about what we were going to do at that day's practice and what we were going to, um, you know, run with new things and stuff like that. So then at 4 o'clock after we finished our classes or whatever, we would start practice. We go from 4 to 7.30. Uh, the calf closed at eight, so from seven thirty to Ooh. eight, you try to get in the quick meal. You try to get in the quick meal if you have a meal plan. If not, you know you go home and go cook whatever you're doing. So then it's about eight thirty or so. So you're trying to do your homework for the day. So we normally had I normally did about three hours, four hours of homework. So you stay up until about twelve thirty, one o'clock, and then go to sleep, wake up, and do it again during fall. It was a very tiring process. That was long. But, uh, I can only spring, imagine. <laughs> for spring, we had a Tuesday, Thursday run class, which was at either 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock. You, you said run class? Yes, run class. Okay. And it's um 
all of our weightlifting and um, our off-season program were classes because we have to sign up for the class to be, for one, covered by the insurance of the school. So if anything happens, then you still do get that deductible coverage. Uh, also, because you got to make sure that you have the time for it because at, you know, these lower levels, academics is first. So you got to do anything that you can to get the classes that you need to get in and as well as, you know, get your stuff that you need to do uh, sports-wise. So we had our run classes for an hour those two days. We go eat breakfast, go to class. Um, until spring ball starts, that's basically how we did that. On Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we had our lifts, which could be at, you know, just a whole bunch of different times, whatever time you didn't have class. Mm -hmm. We had four different lift classes, which were at 8, um, 12, 1.30, and 3 o'clock. So, you know, you signed up for one of those, whichever one didn't conflict with your class schedule and, you know, did your one-hour lift. Um, then a lot of people during the springtime would get jobs. Um, I got a job my last spring semester. I didn't really have a job the rest of the time because I was focusing on doing the harder classes and my spring schedule. So, you know, when you had more homework or you had more difficult classes, that's when I did, my, did those classes. Um, so... My last spring semester, I worked from uh, four o'clock till ten o'clock, and then I did my mm. homework afterwards. Um, but before that, I really—that's when I had more of my free time, so I'd be able to, you know, socialize with my teammates, socialize with my fraternity brothers, stuff like that. After I got my three, four hours of homework in for those nights, um, so spring was a little bit nicer most of the time. I'm gonna let that sink in for a second because that schedule looks very, seems very daunting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as long as you stay ahead of it, I mean, I only had to pull a couple of all nighters and then go to practice the next day. So, just a couple. <laughs> just a couple. Uh, now, your body feels terrible after you do that. Don't, don't do that, guys. <laughs> and your body feels even more terrible after Trey describes what the traveling process is like. And this blew um, my mind. So I'm going to give him a quick exit. So in Division One, you the night before the game, I know for football, well, pretty much all sports, you go to a hotel. If it's a home game, go to a hotel. Um, well, for football, I think it's just a hotel. And other sports, you stay on campus, basically. But you have, like, you're sectioned off. You get to talk and do your game plan and everything the night before. And then if it's a home game, you stay in a hotel, like, that whole next day, eat breakfast, get your pregame meal and everything. If it's an away game, you fly out the day before. So if the game is at night on a Saturday, you leave Friday like at 6. And so we flew – the only place we didn't fly to was College Station, North Texas, and TCU. So like Houston, University of Houston, which is four-hour drive, Tulane, which is probably about a six- to eight-hour drive. We flew there. But Trey's going to describe the travel process for Austin College and D3 schools. So um, we would leave basically the day before. Um, if you had Friday classes, you would have to, you know, talk to your professors about it the day before or not the day before. At the beginning of the semesters when you basically talk to your uh, classes and say that, you know, I might have to miss these days because we might be traveling. Um, some of the days, it depends on how far we were going. If we were going to one of the further trips, like a 12-hour trip or so, 
like when we went to Rhodes, we left at seven o'clock on Friday morning. Um, and how so far was Rhodes away? Rhodes was about 12 hours, uh, you know, normal car rides, about 11.50. 12 hours is the maximum that they will allow you to drive, but they just do the direct GPS. Obviously, it takes a lot longer in a bus. So, so you're telling us that you drove 12 hours for your game? Yes, we drove 12 hours for a game. Um, we got charter buses. Uh, the particular charter bus on the road. I mean, it's not like the really nice charter buses and stuff that have the, you know, plasma screen. <laughs> <laughs> it's a charter bus that has a nicer seat than, you know, regular school buses, but it's still just a bus. Right. And uh, for the roads charter bus, actually, the little plugins for your phone and stuff weren't working. So that's thing. And <laughs> they had about five three rows less of seats because they put like a little bed in the back, which the QB1 took. I'm to say, who was the bed for? <laughs> the, the, the QB1. They took the little, the little bed cot. And uh, the rest of us had like these little seats that like were climbed down. So, you know, you had like four, four people to a bed because it was like two rows of seats that were climbed on top of each other and stuff. It was very congested and stuff. Uh, halfway through, well, uh, third of the way through, something like that, we stopped, get, you know, won't be able to walk around, get uh, snacks and stuff. So this is about five, six hours into the trip. Um, another halfway through, whatever, you get, um, you stop, you do a walkthrough at some college uh, most of the time or half of the time. Honestly, a majority of the time we did it in parking lots, you know, at gas stations or right. at the hotel. But you do a walkthrough to make sure that, you know, you know what you got to do. Um, and then we go the rest of the way, basically through all the way. Uh, we get to the hotel probably about 10 o'clock at night, some of the days. Um, and we then, uh, go to our rooms, change, uh, go downstairs, have a meeting, uh, talk with the people. They give you a pizza and some chips and a drink and a bottle of water. And it's 11 o'clock at night. It's 11 o'clock at night. So. <laughs> Then you go to bed, um, you wake up at seven for the continental breakfast in the hotel. Mm -hmm. uh, we always made sure we stayed at hotels that have continental breakfast. So, you know, you get your muffin and your waffle for the morning. Yep, yep. <laughs> you get your orange yeah. juice. <laughs> yeah, orange juice. And then you go to your other meetings that you had in the morning. Uh, and then some of the times the bus drive to the game wasn't too far, but some of the times it was like an hour away. So, so you get on the bus, go to the game. Uh, most of our games were at one o'clock, so you know we have a quick turnaround from breakfast meeting times to getting ready and getting on the bus for the game. So then we play the game, uh, whatever. We'd be done about four o'clock, and then we'd get back on the bus. They give us a snack bag and uh, pizza again, and then you drive back home. Wow. So. Uh, so you're getting home Sunday at around, what, 6 p.m. or something like that? No, you're leaving on Saturday. So right. you get home, you leave at 4. I mean, like we got – at the Rhodes game, we got home Sunday morning at like 4 o'clock in the morning or something like that. And it was super early. Like they even moved back our Sunday schedule. We still had to do our Sunday stuff, but they moved it back. From wow. <laughs> So we started, uh, we do our Sunday stuff, which is about, uh, which was 
basically rehab and film from the game. Mm -hmm. And then that's when we kind of started doing our next week lesson plan. Uh, so that's just, you know, whatever we're going to do for that week. So we start that about 10 o'clock or so the next day. Uh, you do about an hour of rehab, which was like a pool workout for us or a, a, a light lift. And then you do your film for about an hour and, and then you go on for the next week. Uh, for home games, we didn't get, I mean, it was just a normal day on campus. People, some of the more uncommitted athletes would go out because you still have parties on Friday night. It's a mm. Friday night in college, uh, you know, but a lot of the people, you know, wouldn't stay in. We'd have our calf mill at eight. Um, my first two years at Austin College, they had free breakfast for all the football players that we had to go to at eight o'clock in the morning. But um, my last two years, they stopped allowing that. So just you got your own breakfast wherever you can get it from. Um, sometimes they didn't even eat breakfast. Cause, <laughs> you know. yeah. uh, and then you just go to the game, go to your go to the locker room, you know, get ready for the game. It's, you just and it's just basically a day at the school. Yeah. So the the mental toughness it takes to go through that whole process and still focus on the game is remarkable, because I know so many athletes that on a 45-minute plane trip to Houston are not focused. But to go through – because, I mean, we're not even talking about you doing homework on um, the bus there or back or keeping up with your family. Like, the mental testing that takes is very, very remarkable and amazing. So, I'm going to keep saying this. Like, oh, what are you going to say? The, the bus trips were literally study breaks. That's what you did the whole time. Because, I mean, football is going to take up your whole weekend this weekend, obviously. So yep. you got to make sure you still get your stuff in that's due on Monday or, you know, study for that test that you have on Monday because you still have to go back to school, obviously. Right. So, um, yeah, sometimes if you have a test on Friday, uh, the coaches would get it and you take your test when you got to the hotel. Uh, the hotel. So it doesn't matter what time you get there. You get there at 10 o'clock at night or whatever you take. Wow. Wow. That's, this is very enlightening. I think this is going to enlighten a lot of people, Trey. A lot of people. Um, so how did you survive um, financially? Like, what's the blueprint to surviving financially at a D3 college that doesn't give you a lot of athletic support? Uh, Honestly, I was blessed to have a great – package uh for my academic um stuff so i was able to get a lot of it paid for the rest of it i got paid for with loans and stuff that's what the school part was um during all the breaks though like summer break winter break obviously i worked as much as i possibly could because i had to save up that money to try to live off of for the semester mm -hmm. so um you know, during the winter break, I would get a job, try to save all that money, basically, and use that for the sp um, spring semester and summer break. You do the same thing for the fall semester. Mm -hmm. uh, just trying to save up, budgeting how much you, you know, will need after that first semester because it's harder your first semester. But, you know, if you get a job, you can work longer before that because you can work in high school and stuff. Yeah. Um, but... After that, you just have to know how much money you do need for that next semester coming up just to basically live off of every day, day to day. Um, we also have, you know, work study programs where you can help pay off school. 
uh, by working, you don't get paid that much. You get paid maybe minimum wage, you get 10 hours a week, but it helps, you know, the day-to-day expenses as well. But, um, you just got to really plan out. Like I said, plan, plan out budget. You can't get all name brand cereals. Maybe sometimes you get some <laughs> fruity puffs and that's just what you have to go with. Right. And yeah. I mean, that's it, money. Mm-hmm. So let me ask this question. Cause I feel like we've talked about all the things that make D3 um, D three college sports a little bit more challenging. What, give me three or four things that made your experience great as a D3 college athlete. Well, the first thing is the support that you have from your professors. Uh, at D3, I know that's probably, like I've never been to a D1 college, obviously, so I don't really know, but I know that's something probably that you don't get as much as a D1 athlete. It's like uh, the personal touch of having your professors basically trying to help you as much as they possibly can. I mean, they still have a lot of students and they still have to do uh, everyday, you know, research and stuff like that. But at Austin College, our professors are teaching-based and not research-based. So that means that they're not paid for whatever research they're doing. They pay for whatever their grades are from the students because we have teacher evaluations every at the end of every semester, at the end of every class. So that basically... Um, promotes more student-teacher involvement, student-teacher relationships and stuff like that. So that really helped uh, trying to get the best grades you can, trying to learn the most you can because all the teachers have mandatory offers, have like office hours that they have to have so that you can go basically talk to this teacher, learn more, ask any questions that you have face-to-face with them, as well as the just interacting with the student body like I said everybody does know everybody so some people might see that as a downfall but it's actually something that I really enjoyed because it's something that you know you could meet so many diverse people so many different people because if you know somebody then they know somebody and then they know somebody so you get to basically meet the whole school and right. Austin College the community was great you know we have a lot of interesting people doing interesting things so just getting to know as many people as I was able to know during Austin College made a um, world of a difference. It was great people. Um, things like uh, your coach, you know, you you get to talk more with your position coaches and your head coach as well because it is, you know, you have basically – we had 100 people on our team. Y'all probably have a lot more. It's actually <laughs> only one – like 120 – for us, it was on like 120, so it wasn't it wasn't too much different. Not too much different, but you know, you get to talk to your coaches, um, you get their phone numbers, obviously, you know, just get to get that one-on-one experience with them. Uh, at Austin College, personally, we had three coaches that were actually players at Austin College that I played. I played with two of them um, my freshman and sophomore year, and then one of them graduated in 2015 so he came back and he was one of the coaches so they really understand what you were going through um and you know obviously two of them were really close to me one of them more so than the other but they were like my friends so you know I get to text them you know learn from them and stuff like that so that was a pretty interesting experience yeah that, that's great I think it's important for us to hit both sides I know a lot of times even as whatever level athlete we are we talk about man it was tough it was tough but there are also great parts of the experience, and I had to learn that myself um, when I left because I – y'all will hear about my story a little bit later. I'll hear about it a little bit later. Um, but, Trey, you, you just got your master's. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, so what made you actually want to move and get a, um, a 
your degree after receiving your bachelor's? Well, um, it just makes me more marketable, you know. That's all what, about the job community basically is you just try to be as marketable as you possibly can going into your first job because then, you know, you get more experience and stuff, so you get to beef up your resume after that. But going into your first job, you know, you just try to be as marketable as you can. That means basically have as much stuff on your resume that looks good so that you can get that interview, so that you can be more knowledgeable about what you're going to do um, when you get that interview. So that was just a big thing for me because, you know, there's a lot of people who want to be coaches and stuff like that. There's a lot of coach. There's not as many coaching jobs as people who want to be coaches. So getting my master's degree, I think that helped me really a lot and getting this interview to be able to become a belt and tiger coach. So that was really my decision for that. Right. And now you're, you're a varsity running backs coach, right? Yes. It's very hard to start out as a varsity running backs coach. So that's, that's a great accomplishment. Um, but you're so as a coach now, what's the biggest thing you've learned since you've been a coach that you wish you knew as an athlete that you think could have helped you? Well, I mean, the biggest thing that I've learned as a coach is basically the relationship that you have with your coaches, the relationship that you have with uh, people around you and stuff like that. That can really help you in your future, no matter what it is. So, um, you know, as a player, you sometimes mouth off at your coach or something like that if you get upset or something like that. But these are the people who are basically working every day to try to make you better. And also when you leave their program, if you're going to a college, then they can write you a letter of recommendation. Or if you're going into the job world, then they obviously can write you a great letter of recommendation. But it goes a far way in, you know, getting hired or getting into that college because these people know you and these people can really vouch for you. So just basically not trying to burn any bridges, trying to build the best relationships that you can with your coaches, mm-hmm. trying to build the best relationships that you can with the other players around you and stuff like that with your community. Um, that's just the biggest thing that I've learned because that really helped me in my job hunt um, from being an athlete to being a coach. And also it's just something that you know, as my players, I try to get the best relationship out of them that I can possibly because as coaches, we just want to do everything that we can to help you. So no matter what it is, no matter, you know, what you ask for, we're going to do everything that we can to better you because that's what our job is and that's what we enjoy. And so I'm curious, Trey, have you had an experience yet where you said something or you did something that coach did before that you – despised but now you're like oh I understand now what they were trying to get me to do have you had that an experience like that yet well I mean um it's just those times basically where you have to basically take a kid out of a game uh, because I did get the GA uh, at Austin College so you know just taking them back taking them out the game and let them basically reflect on what they did um not trying to push them you know push them down basically with that but saying that hey, you do need to think about what you did, you know, take your time, take your breath, and then go back in and you go, you know, be better. Because uh, a lot of the times people let that affect them for plays and plays, and that's something that is detrimental to the game flow or detrimental to even your psyche because if you keep yeah. messing up, keep messing up, keep messing up, then you're thinking about messing up and you're not thinking about the next play. So I understand that now uh, when I was a player, you know, after I did something wrong, I didn't want to come out the game because right. I was like, you know, I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm, right. you know, I was good to play before. Now you're going to take me. No, I'm good. But now I understand it more because, you know, as a coach, you see how much that does help those people 
reflect more on what they're going to do than what they did. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good advice and good wisdom. So in closing, I like to ask people this question all the time, um, especially successful um, college student athletes. Um, so can you give us five pieces of advice uh, for student athletes out there who want to be college um, athletes that can help them? Okay, so one thing is basically the biggest thing is know your why. Like I said, it's um, know why you're doing it, know what you're going to do, know why you're killing yourself every day to be better. Um, the second thing is know that you're not competing against the person across from the ball or you. You're not competing from the person behind you. You're competing with yourself every day. So that's your biggest competitor, the person in the mirror, um, the man in the mirror every day is the biggest competitor that you're going to have. The person who you were yesterday is the only person who you have to be better than today. So, you know, don't cheat yourself, stuff like that. Give everything that you have into it because you know on the inside, they might not know that you didn't give everything, but you know that you didn't give everything sometimes. Um, the next thing is just basically plan and schedule. Uh, that's something that I didn't have skills on doing when I was in high school because everything basically planned out for you. But when you get into college, you do have to make your own schedule. You got to plan your own stuff. So planning and scheduling is a very big important part of that. Um, learning how to budget and do adult stuff like <laughs> change your oil, change your tires, stuff like that. Learn that right you can in a sheltered environment yeah. right now because when you do get into college and stuff like that, you will have to do those things. And doing those things without learning is a very scary thing. And also, don't ever say you fill up your car when you leave. Fill up your car like right when you right when you can. Cause, okay. Because you're gonna you're gonna run out of gas. Okay. Right? <laughs> you seem like you have experience with that. Uh, I ran out of gas <laughs> twice during college. <laughs> one time was on the way to one of my teaching observations, so I had to, you know, embarrassing call the teacher and say I can't make it. And then uh, one other time I ran out of class. I ran out of gas on campus, so I couldn't go back home. I had to walk to go get some gas man uh, if you do have to walk to get some gas one of the things that is a life hack is buy like a gallon of water pour out the gallon and fill that up with the gas it's very unsafe so don't keep that gas container <laughs> but it is much cheaper it is much cheaper than buying a gas canister those things mm. like 12 to 20 dollars so hey Mm, I didn't even think about that. I didn't <laughs> think about that. But Trey, this has been great. I think you've helped. You're going to help so many people. Um, definitely appreciate you. We hope nothing but the best for you and the Belts and Tigers as y'all. Um, hopefully, we can have a season. Uh, prayerfully, yeah, go Tigers for sure. <laughs> it's been great. Anything else you want to say as we, before we leave? Uh, no, I'm just thankful for you having me on. I love your cousin. You know, I wish you the best as well. Yes, sir. Love you, too. All right. See y'all next week. <laughs>